welcome to this series on grace. This is episode one. My name is Father Jacob Powell, and I will be here with y'all throughout this series. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Virgin Mother, we ask that you help us to cherish every grace that God offers us, to cooperate with every single grace that he offers us, and to spurn no grace that he offers us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace is a word that we often use in various contexts. For instance, one can talk about the grace of a ballerina. And perhaps you hear, hopefully you hear often, the importance of grace from the pulpit at Mass. Perhaps you hear the term grace thrown around both in Scripture as well as maybe classes that you go to, whether it be RCIA or religious education uh, of, of, of for adults or for children. The term grace is used, but unfortunately I think it's oftentimes used in a way that's not fully grasped, and therefore it can be easily misunderstood, or at least it can misdirect people because of perhaps their own misunderstandings. I want to clarify that. I want to dive more deeply into grace. It can be difficult to find classes, at least in video and audio form, about grace, where one goes a lot farther than just speaking about it as kind of this movement or this love of God in one's life. But it is more than that. In fact, it is a rather deep topic, and we won't go even remotely close to studying it on a theological level of perhaps priests or seminarians or graduates or postgraduates, but we will study it in depth to the extent that hopefully will help us to realize that grace is something that we absolutely need, and we should, as I prayed, cherish it with everything that we are, because without this grace, we cannot reach salvation at all. But in addition to this, we also cannot reach our full potential, nor are we able to increase sanctity and perfection in virtue and other things, at least supernatural virtue. And so we need to better understand grace so that as Catholics, we can look at all of reality, everything that happens to us, the small things, the big things, the, 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 the things that happen frequently, the things that are very rare in our life, through this lens of grace. When we have this theology down, hopefully implementing it will help us to see the world as Catholics should see the world. In other words, our eyes, what light is to the eyes, in other words, that which enables me to be able to use these eyes to be able to see and then have these images impressed on my mind and then form conclusions and judgments and all of these things. Likewise, light is like grace in the spiritual life. Without grace, my soul cannot see. I'm blinded. I don't understand. I don't see. I need grace in order to help me to better understand what God is doing in my life, how he's moving, and how I should respond. And so we break open this such important theme and topic and component of our faith in order to better see God, in order to better see as Catholics should see all of reality around us. Therefore, let us begin all the way back at the beginning. We as humans, in fact, were created in grace. We also believe that the angels were created in grace. Man was created in perfect harmony with God. We walked in the Garden of Eden in harmony with God. There was no sin. There was no division between us and God. And those uh, first creatures, Adam and Eve, they were created in grace. And it was in this grace that this harmony and this union with God was not only possible. God made man to be in harmony with him on a natural level, but it was grace that made him 
in harmony with God on a supernatural level. You'll hear me use that term often, supernatural. That means above nature. In other words, God has made our nature in his image and likeness, which is a precious, most beautiful thing. But he has also given us grace to elevate us beyond our nature, to be able to cooperate like gods in a sense. Okay, And I don't mean that in any way as if we believe in multiple gods or somehow we're just as great or equal to God in any way. None of that, of course. But to understand that God has made us in our nature good and right and just and holy creatures. But he has made us by way of grace even beyond that. And therefore, in order to retrieve and surpass any of that which was had in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve, we need grace. Once again, as I said, Adam and Eve, they were made in this perfect natural harmony with God, and they were also given this grace. And a part of their nature that was given uh, beyond their nature, these uh, were certain gifts called preternatural, in other words, meaning beyond nature, gifts. And this included immortality, that was that their body would not die. Not only does a soul not die, of course, our souls never die, but their bodies would also not die. Impassibility, of course, as well. This means that they would also not suffer in their bodies, that they wouldn't stub their toe on accident because of a lack of control or a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding of what is before them, but rather they saw things. They had perfect control over their bodies. They knew where they were going. They knew how to get there in the most efficient way. In other words, they had perfect control. We also have integrity, integrity, excuse me, that is that their soul did not war against their flesh. As St. Paul mentions that it is the flesh that's weak, but the spirit is willing. This was not the case in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They also were given infused knowledge. In fact, the reason why Adam and Eve, or excuse me, Adam, I should say, was able to name all of the different creatures was because of this infused knowledge. He had this inherent knowledge within him of all of the natures of all of these different creatures, like an elephant, for instance, and the horse and the tree and the bush and all of these things. And so he was able to name them and he was able to name them rightly and justly and well. But then comes sin. And sin destroys all of this. It takes away these preternatural gifts. It also takes away grace. It casts our nature into problems. And these problems continue to snowball into more and more problems that have led to so many souls being condemned to hell. And it has led to so many issues between the relationships between human beings in this life as well. We need grace. Grace is what's able to heal us and to help us. The grace that Adam and Eve experienced was a grace that is called Edenic grace or grace of God. And what that means is that from the Father, this grace flows and was given to these human creatures and to those angels. This differs from the grace that is offered to every human person after Adam and Eve had sinned. So once Adam and Eve have sinned, we have no longer any claim on grace whatsoever. And therefore, we need another source of grace, a fountain of grace. We need this payment for the sin that we have committed. And in that payment is offered a flow of graces that is able to reach every soul. For, and, and it will reach every soul insofar as that person is willing 
to seek it and to repent of their sins and to cooperate with those graces. So, all of that to say that the grace that we speak about in today's class and in every episode from here on out in this series is the grace from the cross. It is the grace that comes from Christ's sacrifice. It is in his sacrifice that reparation to God is made, a most pleasing, infinitely pleasing sacrifice that is offered to God, and from that cross flows all of the graces. So how is it possible that Abraham would be in heaven, or King David would be in heaven, or Moses would be in heaven? They all came before Christ. It's because God, in his infinite goodness, is willing, knowing of Christ's sacrifice, to apply the graces of Christ to those even before Christ was incarnated, born, lived, preached, taught, died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. And so every person that goes to heaven only is through Christ there in heaven. Only through him. He is truly the one way. He is our union with the Father. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit who applies these graces within the church and who applies these graces through the church to all of the world. So, this grace of Christ is rather significant. Although the grace of God, of course, is a rather beautiful thing. We should look at this grace of Christ as so precious of a gift to us that we are able to claim, O Felix culpa, that is, O happy fault. When we look at the sin of Adam and Eve, it's a terrible thing what they did, just like it's a terrible thing when we reject God. When we look at that sin of Adam and Eve, we should recognize the failure of humanity, but we also recognize how communal sin is. Notice, every child that is born, for the exception of the Blessed Virgin Mary and, of course, Jesus Christ, every child that is born, every human that is born, conceived, I should say, is conceived in the sin of Adam and Eve. That's how communal sin is. That it affects every human that has come from Adam and Eve. But, if it was not for their grace, the crucifixion does not happen. You see, Jesus Christ became man. But never allow yourselves to forget, he didn't become an angel. Yet there are angels that have fallen away from God. They had that grace, and they abandoned and rejected God and that grace. But there was no angel that was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. God never became an angel in order to die on some cross or in some ways offer a sacrifice to the Father for them. But he does so for us. He becomes human. And in doing so, he elevates, in a sense, the human nature. Because now God is one of us. This is a profound and significant point we should not lose sight of just simply because we hear about it, I don't know, every December 25th. No, this is a necessary and most beautiful part of our faith. So give consideration to that fact. God loves us so much that he becomes one of us, and in doing so, he offers us a reunion with God, and he offers us this profound grace that flows from his wounds from the cross all of this grace flows from his wounds on the cross. If one is saved, they are saved through the grace of Christ. Whether that is before the crucifixion or after the crucifixion, it comes from Christ. 
In fact, Adam and Eve is often taught to be in heaven, and they are in heaven only by way of what Christ has done on the cross, even though they died so many more years before his death was on the cross. Now let us speak of grace in general to better understand what we mean by that term. And then I would like to, in the next class, break open what we mean when speaking of different kinds of grace. Although there are many different kinds of grace, we certainly will not cover all of those, but I want to stay and focus on just a couple with a little bit more depth because these two, I think, are most pertinent in our vision of reality. The better that we understand these two types of grace and the better that we implement them into our life, then the easier it is for us to grow in these virtues and overcome these sins and recognize different insults and different things that other people offer us or injustices committed against us as simply a means of sanctity. That God has allowed this in my life and he is allowing this to become a part of the way in which I will grow in him if I cooperate well in love, in grace, and with grace. So, all grace on the most general level should be understood and defined as favor from God. In other words, God is just giving us some kind of blessing in some way. He is showing his favor to us in any and all graces that we receive. Natural grace is one that we will not spend time thinking about outside of trying to just make a brief distinction between this and supernatural grace. Now, there is natural grace not understood in the theological realm, like I mentioned earlier, a ballerina that has grace in that her movements are very fluid and smooth and there's a beauty in the way in which she acts. This is a type of grace that one can speak about according to Webster's Dictionary perhaps, but this is not the kind of grace that we're speaking about in terms of theology. Then there is natural grace in theology and that speaks of the grace that helps us in this life pertain to earthly things. It only indirectly relates to our supernatural life. In that, let's say a natural grace is that I have been offered a great promotion in my career or a great security in my job. And because I have that promotion and because I have uh, this security, then I'm able to offer more time at church. I'm able to serve God a little bit more. I have less concerns financially, which allows me and frees me up to be able to give more money to the church and use the blessings that God has given me, this natural grace in service of God's people. You see, this is natural grace in that it is a benefit to me. For instance, somebody that is born more intelligent than many other people is somebody that has a natural grace. God has chosen to give that person more intelligence than somebody else, and that is a grace from God. It shows favor. That doesn't mean that somebody else has been shirked out of or is in, in some way not loved by God. It just simply means that this person has been given this natural grace and now has that obligation to use that natural grace to know God through reason, as well as to find, by the grace of God, faith and, then, and therefore offer themselves to God. So, natural grace has to do with, as I said, the natural order of things. It can have to do with uh, kids and their protection and ability to feed them and provide for them as well. All of these different things in the natural life one should look at as natural grace. That is one very small topic. That is also the last time that we will be mentioning natural grace in any kind of uh, way of, of depth. 
The whole purpose of this series is to focus on the supernatural grace. As I mentioned, there are many different kinds of this uh, supernatural grace. There's prevenient grace, and there's actual grace, and supernatural grace, and ingratiating, all of these different kinds, uh, sufficient and efficient, and all of this. But we're going to focus only on one particular kind of grace for the remainder of this class. And that is what is called ingratiating grace. Supernatural grace has to do with our supernatural life. When we destroyed the relationship that we have with God, we lose any kind of ability of having a supernatural life. We lose any kind of ability of salvation. What is salvation? It is to be united to God. What that means when we talk about eternal life, it's not some distant thing. It's not something that only happens after this life. Eternal life begins here and now. And what I mean by that is that through grace, it is possible to have the life of God dwelling within us. This is made very clear in the scriptures, that we become a tabernacle, a temple of the Holy Ghost who dwells within. Therefore, this grace, this supernatural grace, is this ability to be united to God, whereby he dwells within the soul and has us living his life, participating in his life. What is his life? Eternal life. God is absolutely eternal. We are not eternal. Our life is immortal. We won't die, but we never had, uh, we always had a beginning. We were necessarily uh, dependent upon another for our existence. God in his eternal life has no beginning and no end. Alpha no, and, and omega, that is, we say. Therefore, it is by way of grace that this life can dwell within us. And this eternal life is to be lived now. But this eternal life is something that is higher than us. It's a supernatural gift of God. Obviously, the life of God is higher than my human life, my natural human life. And therefore, this is a supernatural life that God is offering us. To begin to live that here and now, that is a precious gift. Again, something we should be reflecting on. Something that we should be grateful for every day of our life. This supernatural life is something that we also should focus on in terms of this episode and in terms of the, 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 the following episodes on grace. Because everything kind of boils around this idea of the supernatural. That is, again, above our nature. We need grace. Grace is higher than our nature, but by grace, it in a sense kind of scoops up our nature and helps us to live this supernatural life. It helps us to live in ways that we're actually able to act here and now, do things like pray a rosary, love your neighbor, serve God in some way, uh, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, visit the prison, and then in the supernatural life of God, be able to make and, uh, and cause effects that are in heaven. We'll get into much of this as we begin to talk about merit. However, know that supernatural life is what is offered through grace, and therefore grace itself in this supernatural way is able to elevate our nature, to help us to act, to live, to love, and to serve in a supernatural way, above our own weak human nature's capabilities. If any of that is somewhat muddled, I apologize, but at the same time know that hopefully that will become more and more clear as we're able to define certain kinds of grace. 
When you think of grace, this supernatural favor of God, you should think of the fact that we're able to understand God when we say that God is love. At least we can understand him in some way, of course. Never could we ever, in our finite minds, understand God fully by any means. But we're able to break into that mystery, let's say, by understanding that God is love. That our God is perfect love. Perfect love. However, God loving is able to be experienced in terms of grace. How does God manifest his love to us? How does God make clear that he is love? By way of grace. The fact that he calls us to elevate our nature. The fact that he desires us to participate in his eternal life. The fact that he desires to bestow perfection and reward and more and more perfection and more and more reward that we will enjoy for all times insofar as we enter into those narrow gates. That is how we experience God's love. And so, Father John Harden explains that grace is the experience of God's love in your life. It's the experience of God's love in your life. But that's a very general way to understand it. And though helpful, it also further needs to be better distinguished in terms of what kind of grace is. So that then we can, once again, as I said, see the reality as we should as Catholics. See all things in terms of grace. It is in the book of Romans, I believe chapter 8, where St. Paul says that all things will work for the better, for the good of those who are serving God, who are loving God, who are seeking God. That is definitely a paraphrase, by the way. But I mean to say that in grace, we have the ability to serve God in a way that is pleasing to him. Without grace, in our fallen nature alone, we cannot please God in the way in which we that he desires. We cannot do anything supernatural. We are broken fallen creatures, and as a result, are incapable of having the relationship that we should have, that God desires to have with us, and to please him in the way that he desires us to please him without grace. So when you think of grace, it's not just this healing of our nature, but it's this elevation of our nature into something even greater, and that is so important to understand well. Therefore, as I said, there are many different categories or many different types or uh, groupings of grace. But we will only speak of ingratiating in the most, uh, mostly in these series. But rather quickly, to just explain the difference between two main categories of grace that then within them are many other kinds of grace. One is ingratiating grace. Ingratiating means, as I was just mentioning, to be able to be made pleasing and favorable to God. Ingratiating, to ingratiate oneself, that is, uh, to, 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 to be pleasing to. Therefore, grace is something that, at least this kind of grace, is something that enables one to act, to just be, as I'll explain later, but also to act and to serve and to speak and to think in ways that are pleasing to God. How beautiful is it that we lowly, sinful creatures are able to please God? But you see, we cannot do this without his grace. We cannot be pleasing to our Lord without his help, without him first moving to us. So, in ingratiating grace, we will speak of two main types, and that is actual and sanctifying that is what we will hinge, in a sense, this series around before we get into grace and merit, which I think very closely follow on the footsteps of, or on the, the, the excuse me, the heels of um, actual and sanctifying grace. Both called, 
ingratiating grace. Then there is also the second main category that we will not speak much on, but one to know, is gratuitous grace. Gratuitous grace differs because it's not given to us simply to make us pleasing to God. It is given to us entirely by the goodness of God. All grace is given from the goodness and the love of God, of course. But gratuitous is, is distinct in that gratuitous grace is something that enables us to give to God some profound gift, but God has never given it to us as a result of our prayers or as a result of our actions or as a result of some kind of cooperation on our part. In other words, God has decided to give this particular gift for the salvation of one and others in an absolutely gratuitous way, in an absolutely free way. Whereas other kinds of grace, when it comes to actual grace or sanctifying grace, there are ways in which we can cooperate with God and his mercy and his grace so that he bestows more upon us. The more that we please God with cooperating with his graces, the more liberally, the more generously he pours out his graces upon us as we, again, will continue to see the more that we dive into it. When you, when you hear the word gratuitous grace, you should think of things such as the charismata or the charismatic gifts that is speaking in tongues and prophecy and these kinds of things, which unfortunately are very much misused nowadays. These things are gratuitous gifts. In other words, a lot of people, they think that they can begin to speak in tongues at their own choice, at their own will, when in reality, it should be something that we are cooperating with and something that is just simply given to us by God according to his will. It's not something that we can demand from God or ask from God or in some ways do something to then earn from God. It's according to his will, not mine. It's not at my choice and my liberty. And you don't have to speak to many uh, exorcists at all to know that a lot of people that are, let's say, toying with or uh, using or in some way working with this charismatic movement in the church as well as uh, these charismatic gifts without having the proper theological understanding are getting themselves in many demonic issues, whether that be infestation or possession or obsession or, or anything else. Um, so something to know, something to be very cautious about that although these gifts are beautiful, although these gifts are true and real, even though I think speaking in tongues is oftentimes very much misunderstood. They need to be understood. They need to be used only when God desires. And oftentimes that is something that is very rare. For instance, we see this kind of speaking in tongues when it comes to uh, St. Francis de Sales, who was able to speak, from my understanding, in languages that he had never studied before. But that was for the sanctification of those to whom he was witnessing, to those for whom he was offering this good news, the salvation. He was fulfilling the role that Christ had given in evangelizing and baptizing throughout all nations. And so he was given gratuitously this gift so that he could be more effective in that. That's a proper use of speaking in tongues. Not, I begin to speak in tongues whenever I want to because it makes me feel a certain union with God, even though I certainly in no way question their desire and their passion and love of God. And I think that's something that many of us can learn from the zeal that many of the people that are in these charismatic movements have is a beautiful thing. But unfortunately, they need to also learn the theology before let's say, practicing or uh, testing um, some of these things out because they can be very dangerous as well. Easily, we are full. We should run away from that which is not 
kind of ordinary in the spiritual life. Many of the saints speak about the necessity of not seeking the, 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 the supernatural things. In other words, the apparitions and the visions and the locutions and the by, by location that is being in two different places at one time or trilocation or, or, or beyond, as well as uh, looking for the things like speaking in tongues and prophecy. But these are something, if God wants to give it, then he can, but otherwise it's not something we're seeking. It's not something we need and it's not something that we should desire because we should desire to walk according to the way that God God desires us to walk, not according to the way that I find to be the most gratifying or most necessary or most uh, sanctifying or most fun in an entertaining way. So just something to be uh, cautious of and something to know. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, clean, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils, freely have you received, freely give. See that freely have you received, freely give. In other words, if you have been chosen for this gift, then give it but for the sake of the sanctification of others. It's not indicative of your own sanctity. It has been freely given by God for the sake of others. And so it is something to be given and something to benefit them. But this is a verse that speaks of these charismata, these gifts. The powers of the priesthood is also understood in terms of gratuitous grace. Although that is certainly something that is given by and through the church, in other words, the laying on of hands from the bishop in ordination. But those powers are something that is not earned. God calls people according to his way. He does not wait for somebody to pray that I have a vocation and then all of a sudden gives one, but rather he gives gratuitously the call to priesthood. Now, let us go back to ingratiating grace in order to, uh, once again, end on this note in, the, in today's episode that we will begin next episode with first of all, a recap as I normally do and then moving into understanding actual grace which then will lead us into sanctifying grace. These are the two categories that are most important and what I, that I want to focus on in terms of ingratiating grace. So again that ingratiating grace is that grace that helps us to be made to be made pleasing to God. We need help to be pleasing to God because of our fallen nature, as I've already mentioned. And that is the kind of grace that we want to focus on because in that grace, we can cooperate with that grace and we can move God in some way, and of course, only according to his free will and only according to his generosity, to more and more graces to be given to us. But that's what he wants. He's a father. Never forget that God is Father. And because he's Father, he wants to be bestowing blessings and help us and to continue to elevate us even farther and farther into the glories of perfection, into the glories of his sanctity by being more and more united to him in his life, to participate more deeply, more profoundly in his eternal life. This is what he offers us. So blessed are we to have a participation in grace. And so blessed are we to have this beautiful theology that helps us to better understand the reality of this life so that we can live it in a way that will then store up treasures for ourselves in heaven and the next. May the blessed God be praised and adored in every way. And may we cooperate this day and all days with every grace that God offers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.